Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore with everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more. Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. Hey everyone, hope you're well. Thanks for checking in with us today. You're listening to Good Movie Monday, the podcast presented by Fakeshemp.net. My name's Glenn, the guy over there is Keith. Howdy. How are you? I'm going well, mate. Good to hear, mate. Well, we are movie geeks and we'll be spending the next hour cramming your ear holes with movie stuff. So stick around because we have an exclusive interview on this episode with Jason Lee Howden. He's the director of Guns Akimbo, which is a new ultraviolet, ultra cool shoot 'em up film starring Daniel Radcliffe and Samara Weaving. And he's going to give us all the uh, the hot goss and the insight into how that film came about. And um, it is an absolute doozy. Starring the great man, Daniel. What a, what a legend, mate. Well, this guy le- is like... Um, the man with a scar. <laughs> Is a force to be reckoned with, mate. He is. Uh, also coming up, we have our regular home entertainment report with Jarrett Garn's substitute, Ben Helwig from Monster Pictures. The chairman of the Australian Film Critics Association, Adam Ross, will be reviewing the creature feature, Crawl, which recently landed on streaming. And the guy with all the goss, Guillermo from Screen Realm, will be giving you the rundown on what's been happening over the past week in movie news. The boys. The boys. <laughs> Speaking of movie news, mate. He's going to be reporting on possibly the saddest news of the year, as far as I'm concerned, mm. the passing of a comedy titan. Yes. And every time something would go wrong, I would look at the camera and say, hey, what happened? <laughs> we had a lot of fun with that and a lot of other catchphrases. I got a real red wagon. <laughs> and uh, I can't do my work. And I believe I was the first one to use the phrase, I don't think so. But it only lasted a year, and that's good because that's how you establish a cult. Yep, that's right. Comedy legend Fred Willard has died. We're talking about the man who didn't know how not to be funny. Yeah, that's right. It was his default setting. It was. This guy couldn't open his mouth without being hilarious. And this is what blows my mind. His career spanned an incredible 61 years. Amazing, yeah. He was 81, was he? He was 86. 86, there you go. In my mind, this guy was in his late 60s, Mm. maybe early 70s. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't that long ago that Mighty Wind was sort of, you know, up there with, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, it's gone quick. This, um, I mean, I don't know why, but this news has really rattled me. It has. It's, it's, it's affected you, Glenn. It's got you right in the middle, you know. <laughs> right in the feels, mate. That's right. Look, this guy's credits. If you don't know him, you should. The quote that I played just before should give it away. Mm. This guy's been in everything. But I think it's safe to say that most people probably know him best from those Christopher Guest films. Yeah. Ouch. Gums. Am I seeing right? Where's she putting her hands now? Well, she's just checking out the dog's uh, testicular area Ooh. to make sure <laughs> to make sure that uh, that everything is intact. Hate to go out on a date with Judge uh, Edie Franklin, have her judge me. That'd be no fun. And that's all him. I mean, they just put the camera on him, turned it on, and let it roll. He's off and running. Yeah, and as I said, absolute legend. So, Fred Willard, we wanted to take this moment to salute you, sir. And maybe just um, carry on with a little bit of conversation about maybe one of his films. Mm. So those Christopher Guest ones I said, um, This Is Spinal Tap was the the granddaddy of them all, directed by Rob Reiner. It started the whole franchise, for lack of a better word. Mm. But then there was Waiting for Guffman, Best in Show, A Mighty Wind for Your Consideration, Mascots. Mm. They even did a TV show called Family Tree on HBO. Yeah, well, okay. Um, But before we get stuck into the rest of the show... Would you like to pick one of those films? Well, we'll just have a little bit of a chat about it. Well, how about, I mean, look, it'd be reticent of me to not pick this Spinal Tap. A Stone Cold classic. A little bit predictable. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> but you knew you wanted to talk about it, Matt. That's why you asked. Yeah, well, let's do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is, like I said just a second ago, this is a movie that redefined a genre or created Created one, I'd say, yeah. Nothing like it before other than serious rock and roll documentaries. That's right, yeah. Uh, where to start on this one? Well, Rob Reiner put him on the map. Rob Reiner, yeah. Uh, obviously the best thing about the film was the fact that these guys are real musicians. Yeah. And they tapped into a genre. I think they actually saw a rock and roll documentary that was just unintentionally hilarious. Yeah. 
and thought they would do it. And I believe the birth of the characters began on a sketch show that they were doing. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think, who was it? Might have been Harry Shearer was already assuming that character in in mm. um, Michael McKean's band. Yeah, okay. Like, so this kind of already existed. Yeah, it existed. In yeah. a roundabout way. But, I mean, what are your memories of this film? Like, where does it stand with you as far as the great comedies go? Oh, it's a great film. It's not one of my favourite comedies. Like, I, I think it's hilarious. I enjoy it. I probably saw it first when I was about 13, 14. Probably pretty typical when I was getting into, getting into the bands. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a great film. I, I, I'd already seen Best in Show, actually, when I was a kid. So I sort of had a reference for that style of of mockumentary type cinema. Yeah. But seeing this is next level. It's hilarious. I mean, because, I mean, I knew the name Spinal Tap. I actually thought they were a real band. Like, so many people well, do. There's a famous story of Noel Gallagher. Um, he took his brother to see Spinal Tap at some venue in America. And um, Lamb didn't realise that they weren't real and he left when he found out. Which is hilarious. But yeah, um, no, yeah, a lot of people don't know that they're a fake band. Yeah, that's right. Well, they're not a fake band in the sense that's that they tour. They like the Blues Brothers, you know. They, yeah, exactly you know, right. They're a character they band. Pump out some tunes, yeah. Amazing. But it's a hilarious film. I do believe most of it was improv. Is that correct? Almost all yeah, of it. Yeah, which is, I find amazing. I think if my memory serves me well, I think Rob Reiner was the spearhead behind it mm. and he was granted $60,000 to write the script for this film. Okay. I mean, having a famous dad who is also a comedy mm. titan, probably helps secure yeah, that kind of funding. Yeah, get it, 60K. Yeah, but, you know, they decided very early on that they couldn't possibly write a script for it, that mm. it needed to be improvised. Yeah. And so they essentially gave all of the actors you know, history on character, you know, line of notes. They knew how to go from A to B. They knew where they needed to get to. Yeah. But each actor had to fill in the blanks. Yeah, amazing. It is. It is just a sensational film. Yeah. Did you ever see the sequel? There was a, a quasi-sequel? I never did. Well, in my mind, there's two, but the, there's one called Return of Spinal Tap, okay. which is like a 1992 uh, concert film mm. where they played at, oh, what's the um the famous, the Royal Albert Hall. Royal Albert Hall, yeah. And in between songs, they decided to film new segments wow. and, and inter, intercut it with all these sort of new developments on where the band is at. And yeah. Rob Reiner returns, but you've also got like, David Bowie's in there. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I should so check it's that just out. the unknown sequel. Yeah. Um, but I think A Mighty Wind is yeah. possibly a sequel. Yeah. Because okay. the folksman mm. that these guys play in that is essentially the same band yeah. that originated Spinal Tap in the. Just different, different tunes. Oh, great, great <laughs> tunes. Great <laughs> tunes. Oh, I pay but, that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Spinal Tap, just absolutely legendary. Fred Willard was in it, you know, mm. it's, you know where it all started for him as far yeah. as becoming a bit of an improv. Legend. You're a genius. Oh, anyway, yeah. I, could, I could probably gush over him for a long time. <laughs> we, we should move on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jared is still away. So Ben Helwig from Monster Pictures, a.k.a. Coach, is back for another week to let you know what's hitting home entertainment this week. G'day, sports fans. Coach here, filling in for Jack Garn once more on this week's PE Class, Australia's premier physical media report. Madman Home Entertainment kicked things off this week with their release of Jason Lee Howden's manic video game-esque mediation on internet trolling, Guns Akimbo, starring Australian darling Samara Weaving and that kid from Harry Potter. What was his name again? Uh, Elijah Wood, was it? Uh, anyway, available on DVD and Blu-ray, this release is sadly featureless, but if you head over to monsterfest.com.au this week, you can go into the running to win one of 20 copies of the Blu-ray by simply stating which is your favourite video game-based movie and why. Just tell them Coach told you to say the Mario Brothers movie, because plumbers help the shit go down for an extra special chance to win. ViaVision Entertainment launched their new imprint label this week with five special edition Blu-rays of five classic films from yesteryear. Each one comes with a host of extras as well as a limited edition slipcase with alternate art. First up is The War of the Worlds from 1952. Based on the H.G. Wells novel and most recently remade as a TV miniseries by ITV in the UK, this deluxe edition features all the extras that were present on the Paramount special edition DVD from the mid-2000s. Commentary by Gene Barry and Ann Robinson, Another commentary by Joe Dante, Bob Burns and Bill Warren, a making of documentary, a featurette on HD Wells and the original Orson Welles War of the Worlds radio drama. This edition also includes an all new commentary by film critics Kim Newman and Barry Forshaw. A very nice package indeed. Continuing the classic sci-fi thread is I Married a Monster from Outer Space, which was originally released as part of a double feature with The Blob. Presented in glorious 1080p and sporting a deluxe slipcase with alternate artwork limited to the first 1000 units. This edition also features a commentary by film critics Kim Newman and Barry Forshaw, a theatrical trailer and a photo gallery. 
If squirming, scantily clad Earth ladies being penetrated in every orifice by slimy tentacled aliens get your juices flowing, look elsewhere, perv. This film was made in 1958, and thanks to the Hayes Code, we had to wait until the 70s to see that kind of filth and depravity. Whilst not as downright terrifying as Don Siegel's similarly-themed Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which came out two years before, this film still packs a whole lot of punch in its 77-minute running time and comes highly recommended. Next up on the imprint release slate is the classic Barbara Stanwyck film noir, Sorry, Wrong Number. Adapted for the screen from a radio play of the same name by Lucille Fletcher, this box office smash hit was originally released in 1948 and directed by Anatole Litvak. This sparkly new edition comes with an introduction by film noir historian Eddie Mueller, a previously unreleased making of documentary, and a commentary by Film Noir Foundation board member Alan K. Road, and a sorry wrong number radio play, though whether it's the original Agnes Moorhead version or the Lux Theatre redo with Barbara Stanwyck is unclear at this time. Ridley Scott's debut feature, The Duelists, is the fourth imprint release this week. Starring Harvey Keitel and Keith Carradine, no, not the one from Kung Fu, or the one from Revenge of the Nerds. It's the other one, the other Carradine, the proper one. The Duelists is set during the Napoleonic Wars and centers around two army officers who spend their spare time attempting to kill each other with rapiers, sabers, and pistols for shits and giggles. This edition includes separate commentaries by Ridley Scott and composer Howard Blake, an isolated score track, an interview with Keith Carradine, no, not the Kung Fu one, or the one from Revenge of Nerds. The other one, the, the proper one, the proper Carradine. There is also an interview with Ridley Scott and Kevin Reynolds and a poster and photo gallery. The final film on the ViaVision slate this week is Waterloo, starring Rod Steiger and Christopher Plummer. Featuring the least amount of extras in the imprint line so far, this Blu-ray comes with a theatrical trailer and an interview with film historian Sheldon Hall. It's unclear yet whether ViaVision have plans to release other films based on hit ABBA songs like Dancing Queen, Fernando or Aha! The Voulez-Vous Story. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. And on that bombshell, that's it from The Coach this week, and potentially forever, as Jarrett Gunn will be back next week with more scintillating physical media release news. So, for now, this has been PE Class, and remember kids, as Rosen Island always says, you can walk a herring to water, but you have to walk really fast or he'll die. Now hit the deck and give me 50 push-ups. Coach out! So this is what we've come to, starved of a social life, mm. no cinema culture, no. trapped in our homes... <laughs> Look, last week we spoke about the rise of the Zoom videos by celebrities. You know, movie cast reunions, they're sprouting up everywhere. The latest trend that's sort of popping up from nowhere is celebrity recommendations. Mm. Media outlets are pretty much resorting to asking filmmakers and actors what their top five quarantine films are. <laughs> <laughs> that's, there's nothing left wow. to report. Yeah. So, Keith, I'm thinking, I, I've got, I want to play a bit of a game. Sure. I don't know how this is going to pan out. No, neither do I. <laughs> you don't even know what it is. No, I don't. <laughs> I'm thinking if I give you a few director names. Yep. Maybe you could try to guess a couple of films they might recommend in quarantine. Okay. No, yeah. Or okay. would you prefer me to read out some film titles and you guess the director? Now, give me the director's names. Let's see what, what, okay. see what we can do. Well, I've got four. Okay. And as far as I'm concerned, two of them come off like complete wankers. All right, so we'll start with the first wanker. It's going to be like my film taste, Dan or Corbett. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, you on. might love this. Yeah, uh, Barry Jenkins, the guy who made Moonlight and If Bill Street Could Talk. Ah, oh, Barry. Okay. <laughs> All right. If this sounds inappropriate, give me some strong listener feedback. Boys in the Hood. Nah. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> okay. Barry Jenkins, Moonlight. Did you like Moonlight, just quickly? No? No. Okay. I love um, Beale Street. I haven't seen that yet. Okay. Uh, Barry Jenkins. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm going to go Rain Man. No. No. I mean, this is a hard game. Not even close? No. Give me, okay, give me some sort of clue. Okay. Oh, yeah. Give me a director of a film, maybe, that he that he's recommended. Steven Soderbergh. Soderbergh. Okay. Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Nope. More recent? Yep. How about Behind the Candelabra? No. Oh, I see Moonlight. I thought I could have been onto something. You might have been, but you weren't. Oh, I'm going to go one more, and then you can <laughs> just tell me. All right. Uh, traffic. No. Okay. So that one was Solaris. <laughs> Are you kidding? No. He recommended the Soderbergh version of yes. Solaris. Yes. Wow, Barry. All right. What about the? We'll do one more of his. Yeah. Um, directed by Robert Altman. Okay. Altman. Not Gosford Park. Nope. Nashville. Nope. One more guess. 
I'm gonna go. I'll go your favorite shortcuts. Nope. What was it? The company. The company. It's one of those really small ones he made about a ballet company. Ah, oh, Barry. You know, in the 2000s. Yeah, but gosh. the other films he recommended, like, I haven't even heard of some of these. I have heard of Train to Busan. Yeah, I've heard of that. The recent Korean one. Yes. Mid-August Lunch. I haven't heard of that. Sounds Neither terrible. Have I. Sounds yeah. diabolical. 2008. Um, Cellar and Spades. Ah, oh, gosh, no. Nah. Uh, Oslo, August 31st. Is that the... Um, <laughs> that, that's not the... Uh, Greengrass film about the massacre? Possibly. Yeah, oh, no, no, no. That's um, July 11th yeah, okay. order. All right, moving on from yep. Barry. What a wanker. Barry, All thanks. Right. Thanks, mate, for your All contribution. Right, the next wanker on the list. Um, tell me <laughs> tell me some films that Wes Anderson might uh, recommend. No. Wes. <laughs> okay. Wes. What's Wes going to recommend? Probably his own yeah, cinema, let's be honest. I reckon Wes... <laughs> Is Wes going to recommend Kubrick? Uh, no. No. I will, I will be honest with you here. I don't think I've heard of any of these except for one. Are there any foreign titles? Yeah. Is he? What about Jacques Tati? Like Playtime? No, or but stuff? there's no? a film from 1935, 1940, 1932, 1962. Which one do you reckon I would have heard of? Do the Right Thing. Okay, yeah. Of the more contemporary yeah. ones. But then after that, look, have you heard of Alice Adams? No. Uh, story of Chikamasu. Oh, gosh. The Passionate Friends. Nah. What Price Hollywood? <laughs> Seriously, they're recommending films for quarantine that no one in their right yeah. mind would have heard of and probably can't access. Yeah, where are you going to find them? I was just about to say, <laughs> where's son? <laughs> so, two legends of cinema that have better taste. Yeah, <laughs> Guillermo del Toro. Oh, yep. Yeah. Oh, he's going to recommend some quality. Well, I think you might be surprised. Quality, definitely. <laughs> what, your type of quality? <laughs> well, okay, he's going to recommend... Is he going to recommend The Irishman? Nope. Because I know he loved The Irishman. He did. What about The Godfather? Nope. Okay. I'm disappointed, Clemo. Oh, far out. Can you give me a director like that he's recommended? Yes, Hitchcock. Hitchcock. Okay. Oh, he's going to recommend Vertigo. Nope. No. <sighs> <laughs> Let me think. Marnie. Nah. Strangers on a Train. Nah, Rear Window. Rear Window. All right, Gene Kelly directed one. Oh, Not Singing in the Rain. Yep. Yeah. That was a giveaway. Yeah, it was. And then Il Postino. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Girlfriend, sorry, Girlhood and Tomboy. Not Tommy Boy, Tomboy. Damn, showing your hand a bit there. All right, final, it? final one. Because this, this, <laughs> this segment is really sinking. Yeah. <laughs> and no, it's not a James Cameron film. No. Darren Aronofsky. Oh, gosh. So I've got five films written down for him. Oh, he's a and cool. this man has taste by the sounds of it. Do you like Darren? Yeah, I don't mind him. Yeah. Don't love him. Nah, same. Hit and miss for me, Daz. Yeah. I mean, right. when it comes to Black Swan and the wrestler, I think amazing. But yeah. outside of that, yeah. Yeah, you take it away with Big Darren. Okay, um, he's got amazing taste. Do you want me to reel off some directors? Yeah, go on. Coen Brothers. Coen Brothers. Okay, he's going to recommend Blood Simple? Nope. Well, this up. one is almost Aronofsky-esque. Not No Country. Nope. Oh, one, more, one more guess. Dog Darren. Ah. <laughs> uh, um, okay. 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 Let me quick. Not Oh Brother. No. Barton Fink. Oh, of course. I love Barton Fink. Barton Fink's good. Yeah. That's great. Uh, what about a Kurosawa film? <sighs> not Dreams. No. Is it Ikiru? You know, the one on nope. the swing? No, I do. That's a great image. Rashomon. Yes. Ah, you go got on. one. I go on. <laughs> Dazza. And the other two were Amelie. Ah, uh, yep. Which I love. And Total Recall. Total Recall? What, yeah. not the remake? No, 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 no. <laughs> Darren, I'll give Darren, I'm going to give Darren the points there for that. I feel like he had the solid recommendations. Where's your joke, son? Now, I was never into folk music. I'd worked some bills with some folkies, you know, put them in the cell with a long hose on him, put them in the cell with a long hose on him. And I used to say, if he's got a long enough hose... Uh, he's going to have a lot of friends in the shower room. Uh, <laughs> folk audiences hated that joke. We spoke about Tom Hanks's new film, Greyhound, a while back. Yes. One of our earliest episodes. Probably episode two, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Maybe even episode one. Mm. Well, guess what? It's heading straight for digital. It is. 
So the, his dreams of it being a future World War II classic are probably well, diminishing. Yeah, it's been picked up by Apple TV. They've <laughs> snagged the exclusive rights. I mean, this is a massive blow. I mean, the film never looked great to begin with, but no. it looked like a spectacle. It looks like, yes, that is a word you could use. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it looked like the kind of film I would enjoy on a grand scale. Yeah, absolutely. Had a couple of beverages, got the boys over. Because you would, I would imagine, I mean, having not seen it, I can't presume, but I would imagine coming away from it thinking, you know what, at least we saw it on the big screen. Yeah. And now... <laughs> now it's, yeah. It's probably because he's made Stevens involved with Apple, he's bailed him out, you know? Yeah, well, I guess now you just... It's a movie. <laughs> it is a movie, yeah. Sorry, um, Tom. Speaking of, uh, well, this is a really poor segue, but Tom Hanks and Oscars. Yes, we produced a video last week talking about the Oscars, right? Quality bit of entertainment. Since we produced that, the Academy have um, announced that they're considering the postponement of the 2021 ceremony entirely. Yes. So there would be no Oscars for this year at all. Doesn't look like it. The broadcast was scheduled for what, February 28th mm. and the date remains uncertain at this point. But I guess the pandemic essentially has made every film ineligible. Yeah, uh, that's right. I mean... Like, assuming cinemas open, let's say they were reopened at the end of the year, yeah. you'd have to have, like, there'd only be a finite amount of films that would be eligible because they're the only ones getting released. Yeah, the rules are you need a theatrical release. Um, a lot of films, the release date's been pushed beyond the deadline yeah. for the Oscars. Yeah. So, who the hell knows? Interesting times. I guess we'll report back on that when we know it. That's right. Unless, you know, they decide to drop a bunch on streaming, I doubt. <laughs> so, maybe there'll be no Oscars. Maybe that'll be r refreshing. Maybe they will open the door to platforms. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, that it's suddenly just maybe for this year only, mm. platforms are contending. Maybe the Oscars, this will finish them off. It could. They could be, maybe they, they, the Oscars have been postponed for the last 20 years, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure Guillermo will um, probably update us a little more about that stuff on uh, his Screen Realm segment, so maybe we should find out. Yes. What's happening, everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favourite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. Happy to be back on another episode of Good Movie Monday. Hope everyone's taking care of themselves out there. Let's take a look at a little bit of what we've covered on the website in the past week. And following on from what Glenn said, yes, the Oscars may be delayed. As was first reported by Variety, even though the 93rd Oscars aren't until February, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences is considering postponing the big night. Although nothing official has been announced, there's a big chance that the Oscars will be delayed because of COVID-19. The fact that so many films haven't been able to hit theatres, they recently even changed their Oscar eligibility rules. For this year, films released digitally can qualify if the studio had originally planned a theatrical release. So as these theatrical releases get delayed further and further, there's a big chance that a lot of the Academy won't even be able to check out the films, so stay tuned for more on that end. And it's official, release the Snyder Cut has prevailed. That's right, Zack Snyder's cut of Justice League will actually be seeing the light of day. The new version will be released on upcoming streaming service HBO Max, which is set to launch in the US on May 27. While no exact release date has been announced, it will be released in 2021. So next year, we'll be able to see what Zack Snyder originally intended. When Snyder left Justice League, ultimately because of a family tragedy, he did so with a hard drive containing what was essentially the blueprint of his cut. Although without any post-production work such as visual effects, score, additional dialogue, etc. Hollywood reporters' sources estimate the budget of finalizing the cut will be at around the 20 million to 30 million range, but there are plenty of other questions we have, such as will it be released as a film per se? There are whispers that HBO Max may be looking to release the cut in six parts formed into an episodic structure. Snyder's original preferred cut was close to four hours in length, but it remains to be seen if this becomes even longer or shorter once it's finalized for HBO Max. 2021 will also see Snyder release his Netflix zombie film Army of the Dead, so 2020 can just wrap it up already. Ruby Rose has quit the CW series Batwoman. Yes, the Aussie star has decided to leave the series mere days after the first season finale. It was a surprise to say the least as the show had its second season greenlit in January. The statements from all sides didn't shed light on why exactly the departure was happening, but there are a couple of reports coming out that could be revealing a little more. Variety sources claim her departure stemmed from an ill fit between the star and the production and that Rose was unhappy with the long hours required of her as the series lead which led to friction on set. TV line sources had similar things to say, suggesting that her unhappiness with the hours caused friction during shooting. Interestingly, they also say that the split wasn't 100% her decision. Be sure to go to Screen Realm where we've covered that story in much more detail. Andy Weir, author of The Martian, has a new book coming out and Ryan Gosling is already attached to star in the film adaptation. 
quite a big project is coming together here. The Lego Movie and 21 Jump Street Helmers Phil Lord and Chris Miller will be directing and producing the still untitled film, which will have Ryan Gosling back in space after recently playing Neil Armstrong in Damien Chazelle's drama First Man. The book is being referred to as Project Hail Mary and is described as a solitary tale of an astronaut on a spaceship who is tasked with saving the planet. Ridley Scott took We Is The Martian to the big screen in 2015. The Matt Damon starring film became Ridley Scott's biggest film ever, raking in 630 US million worldwide. Now this is an interesting one. Michael Bay is set to produce what looks to be the first major film to be shot in Los Angeles since the coronavirus pandemic shut much of the city down. Set to begin production in just five weeks is Songbird, a pandemic thriller reportedly in the vein of Cloverfield and Paranormal Activity. The plot will be set two years in the future with the virus continuing to mutate and lockdowns reinstated after the situation becomes more deadly still. We'll be following characters as they react to a governmental conspiracy during lockdown. This is going to have an interesting shoot. As per deadline, there will never be people in a room together and social distancing rules will be carefully followed. Scenes will be shot after the crew has come in to prep the shots and there won't be any scenes where actors engage face to face. The film will be directed by Adam Mason, known for Into the Dark and Hangman, and he'll be working from a script he co-wrote with Summon Boys, known for Misconduct. Scream 5 is on the way and one of the original cast members is ready to face the mask again. David Arquette who played Dwight Riley aka Dewey in all four of the previous Scream movies has signed up to reprise the role in a new entry in the successful slasher franchise. This will be the first Scream entry not to be directed by Wes Craven who passed away in 2015. At the helm for round 5 are Matt Bettinelli Olpen and Tyler Gillett, directors of Devil's Due and 2019's well received horror film Ready or Not. That's about it from me guys, be sure to also go to ScreenRealm.com for the June schedule for both Stan and Netflix, we've got all the release dates there. Make sure you also jump on our win section for the latest giveaways. Thanks a lot guys, I'm out. What a wicked little tune that one is. That song is Enter the Game by Ennis Rotoff, who is the composer for the Guns Akimbo original soundtrack. 
And uh, I think that's an absolute belter. So Guns Akimbo, anyway, is a, a new film starring Daniel Radcliffe and Samara Weaving. If you're a fan of movies like Scott Pilgrim vs. The World or Hardcore Henry or even Gamer and The Running Man, then this one is a banger that should really do it for you. The basic premise has a nerdy video game developer waking up with guns literally bolted to his hands. Uh, he finds himself an unwilling participant in a global live-streamed game of dare, and uh, given his uh, docile nature, he can't escape the violence because it is attached to him. So it's a really cool concept. And uh, I spoke with director Jason Lee Howden recently about the film, and he explains where the origins come from. So I think let's take a little listen to it. This is part one of my conversation with him. Hope you guys enjoy. Hey, Jason, how's it going? Very good, man. That's good to hear, mate. Um, congratulations on the film. I had a great time with this one. Oh, it's great. It's great to hear. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm grateful for you taking the time out uh, to talk with me tonight. Um, I know you're probably really busy. Yeah, oh, um, no, it's uh, Friday evening here, so yeah, you've caught me after beer o'clock. Ask me, any, ask me anything, I'll just, uh, no, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> well, cheers to you. So I wanted to start with the title itself, Guns Akimbo. It's a great title, and I think it fits the story brilliantly. Where did the name come from? You're the first person that's asked me, and it's, it's crazy because I'm, I'm itching to, to tell someone as well. So it's um, it's kind of a, a you know a general term, um, sort of a film trope, gaming term for like you know someone John Woo style who holds two weapons, right? It's like two handguns or two Uzis or whatever. Um, but it's um, yeah, it stems from this um, video game called Blood 3D that I used to play back in the 90s. It was sort of like a Doom sort of game. And um, it had this power-up. So, like, you're running around with, like, a, um, say a machine gun or a shotgun, and then you get this power-up called Guns Akimbo, and then you suddenly pull out two guns, and for 30 seconds, you just blow away all the enemies with, um, with two, two um, guns. And, it, yeah, it was fantastic. I, I love, obviously, watching the film, you can tell that I'm, I'm a video game lover. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and, and it, I don't know. Like, no one really questions the, 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 the title Guns Akimbo. Like, they say, oh, that sounds sort of catchy. Really glad they kept it because what do they what do they call that genre? It's like young foo or something like that. Exactly. There was that what was that movie in the early two thousands with um Christian Bale. Oh, that was uh, uh Equilibrium. Yes, exactly. That had some amazing gun food. Jeez, I reckon you've sort of answered my next question because I was gonna ask you where the story came from and how long it had been gestating in your mind. Um, I think I had like a, um, you know, a, a sort of a synopsis around like 2010, um, and people have said don't tell people you've been working on it that long, but it's one of those things where it was just, it was sort of gestating for, for since then, and um, initially I was trying to get it made as a, a New Zealand Film Commission short film, um, and uh, and and they, uh, yeah, they. Um, turned it down obviously <laughs> um, and uh, yeah after, after my first film this day, I was doing like the film circuit and I ended up in LA uh, meeting with some producers there and they you know asked me do you have like any other scripts and I was like because um, I've been so busy like working full time I was working full time in Melbourne on VFX and also like finishing my film so I had no time to write anything and I sort of blurted out oh it comes to September it takes amazing so where did the concept of bolting guns to hands come from i mean that's a real hook for most people who see the trailer yeah totally i mean it's, it stemmed well it sort of started with wanting to do a film that was a bit of a homage to um you know the 80s action classics you know the, all, all, all the arnold schwarzenegger um uh you know sort of slow movies um which i've always been a huge fan of and i, I want to make a movie that was um know, as over the top and fun as those movies, but, um, you know, instead of just the normal action hero, I wanted to, like, 
through some just a normal guy just a normal sort of like nerdy nobody and then I started thinking well if he's, if he's like a pacifist he's not going to um, you know he's a like he's running right so why don't we post the guns onto his hands and then it's like he can't get away from the violence and, and whenever he goes into a new situation like tries to call the cops or tries to like um, you know ends up like confronting gang members they instantly see him as a threat so um that was the fun thing for me. It's like uh, there's always going to be a lot of conflict and uh, a lot of pace going. Um, yeah. And you couldn't have wrangled a bigger profile than Daniel Radcliffe. How did you manage to snag someone of his calibre? Um, yeah, so, so he... Um, he uh, I had a shortlist of, like, I think five actors and, and Dan was at the top of that shortlist. Um, and, yeah, like, I, I, he was... I guess he's someone that's really exciting, not because of, you know, he's had this big blockbuster, you know, child actor career of the Harry Potter movies, obviously, but the stuff that he's done post-Harry Potter is, I've always found really interesting. It's, um, you know, um, I'm a lover of, like, weird cinema, I guess. Um, and, you know, so movies like Sasami Man and Horns and, and um, you know, um, I was a Woman in Black, that definitely my sort of films and, and so yeah I, I, he struck me as someone that would put 100% into the role and wouldn't bulk and, and, and wouldn't feel like he was too good for like you know oh you know um, I'm not going to do this I'm not going to do that I'm not going to like um, test your guns in my hands or whatever he, he was just down for it and um, yeah so that, that was my inclination and I, um, he was literally the first person we sent the script to and I uh, I think it was even like a day later. It was really fast. Um, I heard some of the producers that had responded very positive to, to it and positively to it, and he wanted to uh, Skype. And so, um, yeah, like uh, I, I got on a Skype and I had all these notes. I had like a page of notes. I'm like, man, he's going to ask me all these questions about his character. I've got to be prepared. And he, he got on a Skype and he's like, Fuck, dude! I fucking love your fucking script, man. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he he was amazing. Like, uh, instantly, I I saw how much um, energy he had, and um, and and yeah, we really needed someone that was willing to uh, to to take the falls and to take the hits, and yeah, he loved it. He loved doing his own stunts, and um, yeah, ultra nice guy. Yeah, I think he's one of the most audacious and fearless actors going around at the moment. I think him and Elijah Wood, they both step outside of their comfort zones and they go for yeah, broke. Yeah, my, my friend Ann Thompson's actually got um, his film. I just saw the posters of Side by Side in the cinema in New Zealand. His, uh, his new film, um, uh, Come to Daddy with Elijah Wood. <laughs> Speaking as a short person, it's great to see little people rising up and taking charge. Totally. Well, I mean, you know, and, and Dan doesn't even... He comes across as, like, you know, having... <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I just... So he has so much energy, and, um, yeah. He's like, oh, he says to me, oh, no one's going to, you know... I don't get cast with action heroes much. I'm like, damn, you should. <laughs> I totally agree. And what was it like working with Samara Weaving? Because she's really starting to establish herself at the moment too, especially in America um, as, I guess, a, a bit of a horror queen. How did you get her? Oh, she, she was fantastic, yeah. So um, I'd seen um, Sam in a bunch of things and, and um, instantly, again, it was, it was one of those people who was, I could tell that they were um, willing to go there and yeah like she, she totally was as well um she like you know the character of nix is obviously she's like a um coke snorting murderous psychopath she kills like 20 guys in like one of the first scenes with alert. um and so yeah i mean um i guess i've been really lucky in my career that I've, i haven't worked with many actors that have sort of that had trouble with my material um yeah like she, she with no questions asked, she was like, yep, let's do it, let's do it, this is awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, again, like, so, so talented and, and very brave, and the, the exciting thing was taking someone that hadn't done that sort of role before, and like, you know, she, she, she's, um, you know, very, very slim, obviously, so it was like, you know, I think the producers 
talking about uh, there was a lot of talk about getting um, actresses that were known to do like um, acting roles, right? And I, I, I said like, well, Nix, it doesn't make sense because Nix is like she's like this junkie psychopath. She needs to be some, you know, like fairly skinny and and um, yeah. She kind of reminds me of a Lara Croft femme fatale mixed with a bit of uh, Daryl Hannah from Blade Runner. And then there's like Luc Besson influences thrown in. Where did her look and style come from? Yeah, there, there was definitely a lot of that. I think um, her, her style and look was, that sort of came from my um, younger years as like a um, sort of an industrial punk middle age, whatever, back in the 90s. Like I, I'm always drawn to characters, um, you know, I guess what people would loosely call alternative looking characters. Um, and my, my wife, Sarah, um, held it as a costume designer, so um, not only did she help me um, with the script, but also she was, um, you know, help, help me design some really cool look for next. Um, yeah, um, you know, I think, I think it was a little bit controversial at first because we were doing some crazy stuff to her. Um, yeah, like, uh, you know, I, I think someone was like, Someone came up to me and said, oh, you can't do the eyebrows, it looks too freaky. <laughs> like, because we, we bleached her eyebrows up. And, um, and I don't know, like, the thing is, um, Sam had a lot of input into her um, look as well. And she was like, no, I totally love this. Um, you know, I love uh, uh, how bold it is. And, and, you know, we didn't want to just do another sort of Harley Quinn thing. And, and I love Harley Quinn, but at the same time, Nix is, um, she's just, she's, she wouldn't spend time making her clothes look cool. <laughs> she steals clothes. She, things just hang off her, like all her stuff's ripped and dirty. And yeah, it was, um, so, so yeah, her character definitely defined that look. Yeah, for sure. Well, those those two combined make for a formidable force, I think. Um, that's obviously why you've got such a strong film on your hands. Yeah, well, thank you. So that guy is a bit of a legend. He previously made Deathgasm, which was a real surprise cult hit on, mm. the, um, on the horror movie scene. It has that unique New Zealand sensibility. You know, movies like Housebound, Black Sheep, Brain Dead, they all have that unique New Zealand-esque quality about them. So I thought before we wrap up this part of the show, I would like to talk about New Zealand films. Yes. Do you have any favourites? Well, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to think. I do. So, I mean, obviously, Peter Jackson's a, an obvious one, isn't he? So, I think The Lord of the Rings is probably there. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe that, that was when they got the most attention, uh, I no, guess, on the world it's stage. It's a very, very fair argument to say they are the best New Zealand film of all time. I would say so. Definitely in terms of impact, influence, success, popularity. I mean, they kind of resonate. It's been 20 years almost. Incredible. Scary. It's, so, they're sensational. Are you a fan of that trilogy? I'm a fan of the first trilogy. Yeah. Um, to a lesser extent, the second. Like Same. The Hobbit stuff. If they condensed that to one film, it would have been really, really special. Yeah, I agree. They tried to... You can tell the executives said to him, hey, we want another Lord of the Rings yep. to bring back this character. Yep. Insert 50-minute action sequences. Because yeah, originally Guillermo del Toro was going to be directing that. And it was going to be was it going to be a two-parter. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, which would have been fascinating to see. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, I'd say The Hobbit. Yeah, no, I could take a leave that. For but sure. The Lord of the Rings, sensational movies, you know, great action adventure yarns. Yeah. I'm a I'm a massive fan of New Zealand cinema. Yeah, you love it. I mean, going right back to like the piano, the piano. Of even course, before that, you had Goodbye Pork Pie. That was a really mm. good one. But some of my favourites, obviously, Peter Jackson is a major. Heavenly player. creatures. Heavenly creatures is it's something coarse. else. Yeah, that's so disturbing. I love it. <laughs> it's the awesome well stuff in there. Like, yeah, oh, that's right. So funny. That was Kate Winslet's sort of moment, wasn't yeah, it? When she know, broke I was, in. I was a teenager in those days, and I remember saying to people that. Seen that film, I mm. just fell for her. Right? Yeah, wow. And I was saying to people, when I'm a director, I'm going to make her famous, right? Yeah. And then James Cameron comes <laughs> along and does it anyway. He kind of scuppered you, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, but um, look, that is great. Brain Dead, though. Brain Dead would be right up your alley. Yeah, very, very influential. Possibly yeah. the funniest horror film ever made. Yeah. Certainly the bloodiest. Indeed. Uh, there's one called um, Navigator, Medieval Odyssey. Okay. It's directed by Vincent Ward, well. who I adore. He made What Dreams May Come with um, Robin Williams mm. and... Uh, he made oh, a great one called Map of the Human Heart, which okay. has John Cusack and a few other yeah. big players. It's a great film. It's a it's a sort of time travel film. It's set yeah. in the Black Plague. Okay. And you've got these guys tunneling through the earth to escape death. Mm. And when they come out, they're in modern Auckland. 
Wow. So they travel through time by digging. Yeah, wow. So you've got all these sort of, you know, medieval characters popping out of a manhole in the middle of the freeway mm. and then their mission is to find a cathedral. So they're yeah. following the cross. Yeah. And that's leading them. And it's just a really wow. wonderful film. When was that when was that made? Like eighty eight, eighty nine, okay. something yeah. like that. Wow. It got a really great release through Umbrella on yeah. Blu ray. Okay. Highly, highly recommend that. The same director Vincent Ward did one called Vigil as well. Yeah. Which is highly recommended. Uh, a Quiet Earth with Bruno Lawrence about the man that wakes up as the last person on Earth. I haven't seen that one. It's uh, once oh, again Umbrella to the Rescue, mate. Umbrella. Just yeah. Uh, a couple more that really resonate with me. One called The Strength of Water. Yeah. Which is about a, a young Maori boy and his twin brother mm. who've just gone through a massively traumatic experience. Someone's died in the family and it's just about them on a beach for most of the film coming to terms with it and trying to figure out their way in life by wow. themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really powerful stuff. And then last year, there was one called Daffodils, which Jarrett put as his number one. I've heard of this. Yes. It's wonderful. Yeah. I've watched it four times. Wow. This year, obviously. Wow. Uh, first time with Jarrett because he really wanted to show it to me. I was blown away. Mm. Had to buy it. Mm. Watched it since like three times. Okay. It's just wonderful. I'll have to check it's this It's a musical. Out. If you've never heard of it, it's based on the most popular New Zealand musical ever made. It's very pop cultural. They use a lot of New Zealand pop songs, you know, Crowded House and yeah. all this kind of stuff. No Dave Dobbin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but yeah, Daffodils, it's really, really cool. What's that Lee Tamahori Horror film? Once Once for Warriors. Warriors. What do you think of that? I love it. It's, it's a good a, film. It's a powerful yeah. film. It's amazing that that man made Die Another Day. It still staggers me. Anyway. <laughs> Hi guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen with a review of Crawl, the new creature feature from director Alexandra Arja, aka the guy that gave us High Tension. Now when Arja busted onto the scene with High Tension, I was like, who the hell is this dude? He was at the forefront of French new wave extremism, basically a bunch of movies that just didn't give a fuck and did not pull any punches and kind of played violence in a really shocking real not winking at the audience way so this guy's always been on my radar and when i checked out his remake of the hills have eyes i was like this dude is serious about disturbing the audience and now he's made a couple of middling films but he is back here with crawl now this movie aka the alligator home invasion movie seemed destined for straight to video kind of infamy but it was not to be. Uh, I went and saw this at the Jam Factory in you know, a theatrical presentation, and this just shows what an amazing technician Aja is. He takes this you know, ostensibly silly premise and just turns the screws and just makes an incredibly memorable, nerve-shredding experience. Effectively, while well, this movie is two-hander, you've got Barry Pepper, AKA the sniper from Saving Private Ryan, and you've got um, Kaya Scodelario as his daughter. And the two of them are stuck in a crawl space in a Florida hurricane, and they've got some very, very unwelcome guests. Um, everything about this movie works in terms of a technical production. I mean, he just, Arjun knows where to put the camera. There are all these kind of visual clues and, you know, and for shadowing and these red herrings where you just go what is in the frame here the sense of the unknown is just palatable in this movie the sound design absolutely rocks um, the elements themselves are scary but the creatures here i think are terrifying uh, i would say one thing is is that i've seen this in a couple of different formats and i think that the movie is at its most effective when it's kind of you know in an impeccable presentation so i know some people that haven't really bought into this or that they think that the alligators are a little bit silly or something but maybe they were watching it low res or maybe that they were watching it god forbid on their phone but i have seen this uh you know in the way it's meant to be presented and the thing just works. Uh, Aja is having way too much fun here when he decides to pull the pin and decides to show some human, you know, some human chum, some carnage going on and the way that he kind of, you know, gleefully leans into the violence here just reminded me of, you know, what kind of like a crazy genre filmmaker that he is. So yeah, look, I've seen this thing about four or five times. I think that it just absolutely works it would just if i was working back at the video store rest in peace this would i would just like straight away run to the aisle and be like you got to check this one out if someone wanted a good you know friday night scare so this is uh yeah as good as a creature feature as we've had for a while uh currently on amazon prime and on foxtel so i would give this one a rock solid four stars crawl check it out 
Live from America's premier horror and paranormal convention, every Friday night, Scarefest Television brings you guests from the horror and paranormal fields, plus featured movie reviews, entertainment features, and short films. Watch us live every week at ScarefestRadio.com or via Facebook and Twitter by following The Scarefest. Scarefest Radio, the radio you can see. We are speeding through this episode like a freight train. It's time for recommendations. <laughs> yes. That crept up. I didn't realize it was so soon. Yeah, it's going um, quick. For some reason, I have not been able to get The Last House on the left out of my mind. It's been plaguing me all week. Mm. I can't figure out why, but I'm not going to recommend that. <laughs> because I had something else in mind that I'm going to go to. Have you ever heard of Spirit of the Beehive? Do you know what? I reckon I actually have. 1973. This is a film that pretty much inspired Guillermo del Toro to make Pan's Labyrinth and The Devil's Backbone. Mm. Let me give you a little bit of rundown of this story. It is so good. So it's a Spanish film set in the aftermath of the Spanish Civil War. And it follows a little girl in a remote village who becomes traumatized after a traveling projectionist screens the movie Frankenstein in a local wow. village. And she's traumatized by the scene of the monster killing the little girl. Yeah. Which is a great scene in, yeah. in cinematic history. That's a really powerful thing. So this girl becomes really, you know, inquisitive about life and death, starts asking her family questions about mortality. Yeah. And her older sister playing a prank on her tells her that the monster never died. He's actually a spirit living in their barn. Mm. So this girl is fixated on the barn thinking the monster's in there. But at the same time, there just happens to be a fugitive squatting in the barn. <laughs> who she befriends and their relationship becomes very parallel yeah. to the Frankenstein story. Interesting. It is just a beautiful film. Won't give you any more information than that. It's available on, I think, iTunes to, yeah. to buy or rent. I don't know if you can actually sort of find it on any streaming platforms. But yeah, absolutely stunning film. Spirit of the Beehive. Yep. It's a good title. It's a great title. Another 70s classic from the great era. Yeah, mate. I did that one just for you. <laughs> you did, yeah, yeah. Mind you, Last House on the Left is 70s too. Yeah. Oh, reason I think that's been on my mind is because Wes Craven mm. and they've been talking about a Scream sequel this week. Okay, I had I missed that. They're wanting to do Scream 5. With Wes? Well, he's dead. Oh, he's dead. <laughs> I didn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my problem. That's good. This guy shepherded that series from one through four. When did Wes die? Oh, he died about five years ago. I feel like I should know this. You probably should, so. but horror's not your bag, mate. No? I mean, Music of the Heart's the only drama he ever did. <laughs> and even that's not your bag. Someone little Richard died. I thought he was already dead. I'm like, oh, this is news to me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I do yeah. Anyway, th yeah. that's probably why it's on my mind. Yeah. Whatever, let's listen to what you want to recommend. Where's may you rest in peace, son? Uh, I'm going to recommend a film from Brazil. Classic film. We should all know this. Well, I hope we do. It's called City of God. Oh, yes. Made in 2002. Directed, I'm going to attempt this surname. Attempted by Fernando Mayellis or something along those. Rallis. You know, he's made Constant Gardener. He made The Two Popes recently. Yep. The Two Bros. Uh, amazing film. You would have seen this, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. I feel like this is almost a little bit of a forgotten classic now. Oh, that might be unfair, but when it came out and in like the five years post-release, it was like very... Present in, yep. in the in the film culture, it was a classic. It was one of those must sees. I feel like now it's faded a little bit. I completely agree because yeah. there are films like that from that era that, um, like one of the, oh, one of like I think a Rosie Perez film that she made, um, yeah, and Morris or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. I'm yeah, of about. course. Um, yeah, I hate it when I can't think of the names. Yeah. Anyway, these films for a good five to ten years were like right up there with you yeah. know, must-see lists and all this. That's right. And, and now they're just forgotten. Can't so, even remember their names. Like on the stage. <laughs> like what was that? I know, slightly say, Goodbye Lennon. Remember that? Oh, yeah. That was like, for like, again, in that era. That, that's a great film. But in that era, I should recommend That's that. going to happen to the death of Stalin. Yeah, for I sure. I that'll be forgotten it, too. It'll fade out. Goodbye Lennon, though. That gave us um, Daniel... Daniel Brühl. Yeah. Great film. It was a fantastic but It was so present in the film culture for a few years, and now it seems to have sort of been forgotten about. But yeah, this film, if you haven't seen this movie, you need to see it immediately. It is very Scorsese-esque. It's probably like the the foreign you know, cinema's answer to Goodfellas, I guess. It's a true story. It's pretty confronting, hey. I yeah. hadn't seen it in years. It's amazingly entertaining, but it's it packs a punch. I think I used to watch it over and over when I was in school. I must have been desensitized to some of the violence. It's pretty confronting. Remember the scene where they make the kid 
shoot himself in the foot. Yeah. Like this little kid, I'm like, far. Oh, he has to choose where. Yeah. I'm like, dang, that's brutal. It is. It's basically, it's about the slums of Rio. True story about a gang war that took place. It all happens through a young man, like the eyes of his young man called Rocket, who's like a good boy. He's a photographer. He wants to get out of the slums and he witnesses a gang war basically amongst his peers. So there's a, the villain, uh, little little Z, I think his name is, a little dice when he's a kid, uh, and um, this guy called Knockout Ned. They have a massive gang war and it's amazing. It's epic. It's all true. It's just kind of witnessing what happened. Imagine growing up there. You sort of, it puts you right in the heart of the violence, but it's also incredibly engaging, entertaining, it's got that rock and roll style filmmaking yep. that Scorsese made popular. And all the actors, a lot of them are just locals, yeah. which gives it a real air of authenticity. So it's very authentic. The guy that plays the main antagonist is amazing. I don't know if he's done anything since. The man like should have been picked up by Hollywood. He was incredible in this film. So make sure to see it. City of God. Just, long long overdue for a repeat view. Oh, it is. It's a Stone Cold classic. <laughs> and I, I, I'm on a mission to bring it back into the consciousness of world cinema. You know, we all live over a trap door. You never know who's going to be next, am I right? And I guess you know by now, if you're watching this, I'm already dead, or else I've disappeared somewhere and am considered dead. Uh, maybe we should make a less fun version of this in case I have some tragic death which involves a closed casket or something. We've got prizes to give away. Yeah, so the mystery prize pack for our episode from last week goes to Dave Ducks or Dukes. D-U-X. Dave left us some great feedback on YouTube and um, I'm, I'm, there's a trend. People are starting to come out of the woodwork and I'm really, really thrilled. So thanks to everyone that's interacting with us. Really means a lot. Like, you know, Keith and I talk about this throughout the week and um, we're pretty chuffed, you know? We are. So thanks for all of your support. We've got more movies to give away. So just keep on interacting with us. That's all you have to do. Like, comment, share, all of the above, any of the above. And you can win some stuff next week. Yeah. Another recurring motive that we've talked about over the weeks with the whole COVID-19 thing is the resurgence of the drive-in culture. Yes. So I read last week that the Lunar Drive-In in Dandenong, which is in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, mm. uh, we reach far and wide. We do. <laughs> During this COVID phase, they've just spent $3 million on a new snack bar. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, I mean, are, you, are you being, is that serious? Dead set serious. Wow. I know that reporting on snack bars is not exactly what we do here. No. But like, this is exciting. The fact that they've invested money in something like a snack bar. Yeah. Shows that there is real life within the culture of drive-ins. Hopefully this revival that we've been talking about, you know, really, really takes hold. That is the harbinger of things to come, Glenn. This snack bar, Renault, could be... <laughs> <laughs> It could be the rallying cry of the drive-in. The snack bar looks incredible. Like it's oh. it's like a full-on diner yeah. with booths and all that. Wow. Obviously, the booths can't be open until restrictions lift. Yeah. In fact, the drive-ins are just waiting for the go-ahead to open. Yeah, which they should be already. Obviously, they should already. But um, anyway, I thought that was really, really well worth cool. noting. They also spent a lot of money apparently on extending the entrance for you know to two lanes to. It's great. Two ticket booths, funnel those cars in quicker. So they're anticipating high numbers, so. I'm going to go to that snack bar and pick up a quality Earl Grey before viewing some, some fine Maison Sin in my car. Did you hear that, people? He tried to just sneak a little jab in there. It's a little twist of the nut. So, yeah, all of you listening, go visit your nearest drive-in cinemas as soon as possible. I'm sure there are some near you. Mm. Uh, they've had it rough for the last decade or so, so I think we should really pump them up. That's right. Another episode comes to a close. Mm. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Always a pleasure, never a chore. Glenn. We want to thank all of our friends for delivering another week of the goods. Adam Ross, Guillermo from Screen Realm. Massive thanks to Ben Helwig from Monster Pictures for taking over from Jarrett while he's been away. Yeah. It's been some good stuff, it's mate. It's been great. Uh, Jarrett will be back next week and we look forward to that. So please keep chatting with us on Facebook. Tell your friends about us. Please come back next week for the second part of my chat with Jason Lee Howden. Thanks heaps, Keith. My pleasure. It's been another good show. It's been a quality one. I feel one. like this one is a speedball. Oh, dang. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this week's sign-off is another track for the Guns Akimbo soundtrack. It's called Original Grey, composed by Ennis Rodoff. Have a good week, everyone, and we'll catch you next week on Good Movie Monday. Take care. Take care.